You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Sleep apnea, we know it makes for tired patients and angry bed partners, but in our patients with other disorders, are we overlooking this important and treatable condition? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome in Dr. Nancy Collip, Associate Professor of Medicine and Medical Director of the Johns Hopkins Sleep Disorder Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you again for being with us, Dr. Collip. My pleasure. When we have a patient who we suspect has sleep apnea and send them for a sleep study, an in-lab sleep study, what should we be looking for in that testing facility? There's a number of things, I think, to consider when referring a patient to a sleep center. Sleep centers can are typically, you know, embedded or within a hospital setting or freestanding. And I think there can be good centers in both situations. So I don't think that would necessarily influence you one way or the other as to the quality. The quality might be best assessed by who's running the sleep center. So there is a certification for sleep medicine. In the past, it's been run through the American Board of Sleep Medicine. In the, as of this year, there's actually going to be a, cert, a board certification administered through the American Board of Medical Specialties for sleep medicine. So the physician can actually be certified in sleep medicine. And the centers also, you know, there is a certification process for centers. The JCHO does a certification for centers, uh, so that's one thing you could look for. They do tend to concentrate more on, you know, the, the physical plant and making sure that things are labeled and that the process for the patient getting through the, the study is is appropriate. The American Academy of Sleep Medicine also does a certification process for centers as well as laboratories. The difference being laboratories would be focused more on the sleep apnea patient centers would be focused more on the broad range of sleep disorders. So so those are a couple things that someone could look for with regards to, you know, the different quality of sleep labs and centers that are out there. And once you have a, a qualified uh, facility, is the interpretation of the test somewhat subjective or is it a more objective process? Well, I think it's like... Most any other test that you order, I think there is some subjectivity to it. You know, the physician should be actually going through and reviewing the raw data of the the studies and, and, you know, putting their imprint on the report rather than just having the technician generate a report and, and spit it out and have the patient or have the physician sign it. So, yeah, I think there is a little bit of an art to the, the interpretation of the study that should be present as well. We've suspected it. We've sent someone to a good center and we have a diagnosis of sleep apnea. How can we help our patients? What are their treatment options? The superior treatment is a nasal CPAP device, CPAP standing for continuous positive airway pressure. The other options, you know, in the obese or overweight patient, clearly weight loss. There are oral appliances that we could talk about. There are some surgical procedures in selected populations that may benefit and then, you know, more simple things, some patients might just have significant sleep apnea when they're on their back. Typically, in, in the situation where it's a relatively mild case and it's positional, we might just have patients avoid that supine sleeping position. Should I uh, not then, if, if I'm not sleeping well, doc, I'm snoring, can I have some Ambien? Uh, that's okay to consider or stay away? 
Yeah, I would say if you have a, a snoring patient that's having sleep complaints, uh, I would be very cautious about, you know, throwing Ambien at them before I do a sleep study. You mentioned weight loss. With, with many disorders, we're taught that a 5 to 10% reduction in weight can have a significant impact. Is there a similar guideline in sleep apnea? Yes, absolutely. Most patients, even moderate weight loss, you know, 10 to 20 pounds, can has an exponential improvement in that apnea, hypopnea, or respiratory disturbance index. So, so even minor amounts of weight loss can, can make a big difference. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Nancy Collip, Medical Director of the Johns Hopkins Sleep Disorders Center, and we are discussing treatments for sleep apnea. Sometimes a patient will look at me and say, how am I going to sleep with that on my face? I imagine there are options in terms of masks. What, what should we tell our patients about that? Right. I've heard that a few times myself. The patients that are diagnosed with sleep apnea, I mean, we, we try to do, a, it's important to try to do a good job up front. And I explain from the very first moment I see the patient about CPAP. I mean, I'm, I'm already planting that seed in their head before I even refer them for the sleep test that this is uh, the treatment and that it works very well and that, you know, if they're very symptomatic, that this, you know, can make them feel a whole lot better. So I try to plant that seed early. And, you know, oftentimes when you start to talk to patients about CPAP, they'll say, oh, yeah, I know somebody who has one of those. But, you know, most patients actually do quite well with CPAP. And if you can convince them to try it and to wear it, Typically, they will, you know, notice a, a big improvement in in how they feel, and because of that, will continue to wear it. There are a lot of options for different mask interface. I think over the years, CPAP's been around for 25 years. Over the past probably five years, the number of options for the what, we, what I call the interface, so the mask or the nasal pillows for patients, has increased tremendously. So there are a lot of options and. You know, usually you can find something that the patient can be relatively comfortable with. The other thing that's quite important that we've discovered over the past five years or so is the addition of humidity into the circuit. So almost all the CPAPs now come with the ability to not only humidify but to adjust the amount of humidity in the system. So those two things, I think, have gone a long way to improve CPAP compliance. And and then finally, the machines we have now are not only very quiet, but they're also relatively compact and lightweight, so they, they can e- e- relatively easily travel with patients. I don't know if, if there's a generalization here in terms of the options for the masks and the fitting. Is that typically done at the lab or at the vendor level? You know, we usually uh, do the sleep study and then either as part of that first sleep study or during a second night of sleep when the patient actually wears the CPAP machine in the lab. We try to, you know, get a mask or interface that's comfortable for them in the lab. I would say, though, at least 50% of the time in, in my clinical experience, the patient will switch to something, a different machine that's, you know, then supplied by the vendor of the, of the CPAP device. So the vendors, you know, have access to a lot of different masks. And usually, you know, uh, you can come up with something that the patient's comfortable with. It may be in the lab 
like I said, about half the time they, they change to something else because of discomfort or, you know, found something on the Internet that they thought they'd like better. And I had a patient just today, as a matter of fact, who uses her CPAP every night but says she often will wake up in the morning and she's taken it off. Uh, is that a common thing? Are there any recommendations for that situation? That's a tough one. When when that happens, there's, there's the first concern I have is that, you know, perhaps it's not set right or something about the machines bothering them in the middle of the night, either they're opening their mouth or, you know, it's too dry or, or something. So so I'm very careful to make sure that, you know, the machine's set right and it's relatively comfortable for them. But, you know, some patients, you know, take it off in the middle of the night and are not even aware that they're taking it off. And so sometimes what I'll do is, like, add a chin strap to that so it just makes it a little more difficult for them to take it off. Sometimes I'll have them add a little bit of paper tape over the straps that so when they take it off, it hurts. You know, nothing that's going to be abrasive by any means. Or, you know, the other thing is if they have a bed partner, to you know, if the bed partner notice that it's off for them to, you know, wake them up and have them put it back on. But typically, most patients, once they get used to it, that does tend to improve. I have my patient, they're, they're doing well on CPAP. How often should that be recalibrated only with symptoms, or what's your recommendation there? What we know now about sleep apnea is that typically over time, there's not a huge need uh, or difference in the pressure requirements, we think, based on the, the information we have. So most patients will be relatively stable for years on a set pressure. Now, that is assuming a couple things. One, that they don't either lose or gain a lot of weight. And then the other would be that, you know, they don't develop an interim problem like, you know, hypothyroidism or, you know, maybe they break their nose. Of those possibilities, the most likely is the weight in the absence of that. And so typically, I don't necessarily say, oh, we're going to do a sleep study every year, every two years, or even every three years. I would repeat a sleep study if there's renewed symptoms or a new symptom or, like I said, if, if there's a, a big change in weight. How successful is CPAP in terms of the subjective symptoms of sleepiness? It works pretty well. It's been shown to be highly effective to improve symptoms. Uh, there's some data, like we may talk about, that you know it might improve blood pressure. It certainly has been suggested in some studies to improve diabetic control, decrease the number of hospitalization patients have, decrease automobile accidents, improve mood and quality of life. So there's lots of data that shows that CPAP works very well, and, and even in patients with relatively mild sleep apnea. So it's a very effective therapy. I want to thank Dr. Nancy Collip, who has been our guest, as we've been discussing some of the treatment options available for sleep apnea, focusing on the gold standard, nasal CPAP. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.